0: So here's Christmas in a nutshell, God with us, God with us. That's the story. And we've just been unpacking this uh, starting last week in this series called Christmas Like Jesus. We know that Christmas is the time that we celebrate Jesus being born, even though it may not have actually happened on December 25th. I hate to break it to you, but we do celebrate his birthday at Christmas because it means something and we celebrate the reason why he was born. Let me ask you this. Why were you born? Like, why were you born? How many of you guys were born to be wild? Come on. Like, how many of you got kids that were born to be wild? Let's go. Man, um, yeah, you know, th- those kids, or maybe it was you, you know you came out, the first thing the nurse said was, ma'am, you got your hands full today. Uh, because this is the story of the rest of your life, because you, the terrible twos traumatized you, didn't they? Because they were just born to be wild, pushed every envelope, cr- crossed every boundary, asked every question. Why? Why not? They were the life of the party. Also, um, they were that strong-willed kid. That's the way you. That's the way you kind of said it politely, uh, rather than saying they were a hellion. You just said, "Man, they were just they were just tough to raise." But they begin. Man, they they grow up to be leaders. They grow up to change the world. They grow up to be. Man, they grow up to be people we want to be around. If you were born to be wild, how many people were born to shop? Come on, it's Christmas, don't lie. Born to shop, like my wife was born to shop. Like my wife was born to shop. Let me just tell you a little secret. Like my wife can walk into a store and it's like a homing pigeon with this beacon that goes to the sale rack and she'll go to the sale rack and pick something out and then when she pays for it, it's 30% off of that. I mean, she's amazing. So guys, if you want, to, if you want your wife to go shopping and actually come back with money, you need to take my wife with you because she was born to shop. Like, she's amazing. How many of you guys are born to run? Anybody? Born to run? Like born to run from responsibility? Like I was born to run from shopping. What about you? Like like you're born to run. I, I think about this, like I, I have this spiritual gift. My friends know this. It's like if you're moving, like if you're changing houses or moving to a new uh, place or moving to a new apartment or moving furniture, I'm gonna be out of town. It's a spiritual gift that I have. I don't know how it happens every single time. Someone will tell me, hey, we're gonna start at 10. I'll show up at 10. They're done. And I don't know how that happened. Like my son moved here from Charleston a few weeks ago. Guess what happened? Guess where I was? India. Like, I don't play. Um, I'm going to be gone. Like, we're born, born to do things, born to be sassy, born to whatever. You can fill in the gap. And what we're going to look at today is this word why Jesus was born. Now, he was born for several reasons, but this is one word that just tends to bubble up to the surface. It tends to be what he was known for. It's what confused his enemies. It was, it's what was appealing to people who felt like they could never measure up. It's one reason why it makes Jesus stand out from the crowd. And You know, maybe you're new today and exploring faith during this Christmas season. And I believe this word can just kind of radically change how you experience hope in the hype of Christmas. And Jesus was born to serve. Jesus was born to serve. You know, we unpacked it a little bit last week. When Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Like this is the reason why Jesus came. And for so many of us, man, we're just playing the game of the world. We're chasing after the things that the world and culture and our parents and um, social media will tell us, will change us. And only to find the closer we get, the emptier it seems. Amen? And so we're going to unpack this idea of Jesus was born to serve. And it's not going to be one of those messages of you need to volunteer and you need to go to an angel tree and volunteer to help somebody. Like, that's not what it is at all. What I want us to be able to experience today is the difference it makes in our lives when we realize that Jesus was born to serve. Amen? Alright, let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If, if you own a Bible, we'd love for you to bring it and read along. If you don't, we we'll, we'll be more than happy to give you a Bible. Um, Philippians chapter 2, one of the classic passages on Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, and all the implications of that uh, for our lives. So I'm going to start out. I'm just going to read through verse 1, down through verse 11, and then I'm going to go through and make just a handful of points. Uh, And apply it to our lives. So, in in verse one of chapter two, it says this: it says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. So, Paul is writing this to people who are in church, and he's saying, listen, if you found any encouragement in Christ, and some of you have experienced that. You know what it's like to go through a difficult time and have God come along and encourage you to feel like you're all alone and you're discouraged. But Christ just steps into your life and supernaturally somehow he encourages you. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any comfort from love. Like as we were just listening to that video of November who from Myanmar and just all the difficulties that she faced and the loneliness that she experienced and the way that she found herself just at night in a foreign country and began to experience the comfort of the love of Christ as she got involved with God's people. This is what Paul is writing about. If any of this is true, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So, so what Paul is saying is like, if any of this is true, if you've had any benefit from following Jesus, there are some necessary outcomes that happen. And he's going to begin to outline them in the next few verses. Verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So you get where Paul's going with this. Look at someone else and say, you're more significant. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're more significant than I am. Man, that was weak, y'all. Like I'm just gonna say it, that was that was weak. I'm gonna try that again. All right, like that was weak. Uh, I mean, I'm your pastor. I love you, but that was terrible. Um, and you knew it too. But I was like, all right, say so, let me let me just help you a little bit. Turn to your neighbor. Say these two words. You are more significant than me. All right, that's better. All right, don't you just feel better saying it that way? Right? Ah, some of you had a bad morning. I could tell. I'm so sorry. You got newborns at home, don't you? Man, that is something. Ooh, I'm not going to recover from that. Oh, wow. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Then he says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. So Paul's not saying that we completely don't look out for our own interests, for our own self, for the things that we need. He's not saying that. But he's saying that's not the sole force of our lives. How many of you know that, man, a selfish life just is the most miserable life? Amen. Like when you're selfish, your life just falls in on itself because your life is not equipped to handle the weight that God wants to put on you, right? And so we have to know that we do consider ourselves, but we don't consider ourselves first. Verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. So now what Paul's going to do, he's told us to count others more significant. Now he's going to show us how Jesus did that. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Come on, somebody. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hello. Right? This is the gospel. So you see the picture. Jesus lowers himself. And as low as he gets, God raises him up. And we're so busy trying to raise himself. What does God need to do? Sometimes he needs to lower us so we'll be able to see life accurately. And so, so one of the things that we do celebrate at Christmas, and the thing that we kind of understand intuitively, is that the Christmas story is the story of this lowering, of this humbling of Jesus, of this serving of Jesus. And we see it throughout the gospel And uh, even in in this own passage, he's telling us in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourself, which Christ had, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. And what that means is something to be earned, something to be grabbed for, something to achieve. Kind of what our culture would tell us is the path to greatness. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He Again, the, the whole... Christmas story is him being in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross now let 's just i 'm going to talk briefly about uh, Some of that servanthood, some of that mentality of him actually being here, but then I think there's a bigger picture that we miss many times at Christmas that I want us to spend a lot more of our time on. Now, now Jesus, we know, came as a servant. In the Old Testament, this was the things written before Jesus was born, there were prophecies or predictions that the Messiah, that Jesus would come, and he would come in the form of a suffering servant. So there's some level of understanding that he was coming as a suffering servant. They knew this. And then when we began to see how he was born, we realized the level of the depths that he came to be with us. I mean, think about this. Jesus was born to two parents who were teenagers, more than likely were ridiculed and marginalized because it looked like on the surface that Mary actually got pregnant before they were married. He's born to parents who were in the service industry. Joseph was a builder. They, would, they were from the smallest, most menial, most humble town in the Roman Empire, Bethlehem. That's where he's born. He's born in the servant quarters. I mean, this is a story of Jesus' birth. You know, just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine's wife had, uh, was due, and she, had, she was scheduled to go into the hospital to be induced. It had to wait. She was scheduled to go in on a Wednesday, didn't go in until Tuesday. Now, some of you ladies that have had, had babies, that feels terrible, doesn't it? Like, that just generates anxiety in you. But let's compare that to the level and how Jesus was born. Man, just underneath the stars in the most humble method. This is how Jesus was born. Jesus' first miracle was the miracle of a servant. He was serving people. His first miracle was he goes to a wedding and they run out of wine, which was a catastrophe in those days, much as it is in our day. Amen. And he turns water into wine. He serves people. He serves this bride and he serves this groom. We know that the very first um, time after time after time, Jesus is just found serving people. We know that one of the biggest uh, examples he gave of that was when he washed his disciples' feet. And that was just as gross then as it is today. (laughs) Man, Jesus shows up at the last supper he's about to go to be executed and his disciples show up and usually there was a servant there who would wash feet and it was the lowest of the low like when we go places we see people who were serving and we think to ourselves that there's no job below that one let's be honest like we think that maybe it's cleaning the bathroom maybe it's something else like we know that this is exactly what this foot washing servant would have done And Jesus, rather than asking his disciples to do it, because they didn't do it, they didn't volunteer, Jesus just starts washing feet. Man, he's a foot-washing servant. Man, we see that when he goes to the cross, he goes to be executed like a common criminal. He carries his cross as far as he can, and eventually he can't carry it any further, and he has someone else to come alongside and to pick up the cross and to help him. Man, he's a cross-carrying servant. This is, who, this is who Jesus is. Man, this is the, what he came and modeled for us and this is the currency of God's kingdom. Man, this is the currency of God's kingdom. Now, we, we intuitively know a little bit about this because, because at Christmas, what do we think about doing? We think about helping people, serving people. You know, maybe for you, you've thought, man, I need to find a family to help this Christmas. You know, we, we need to find someone who's down on their luck We need to find someone who needs something, and we need to help them at Christmas. And those are all good things. Man, we should help people at Christmas. But one thing we need to notice about Jesus, Jesus didn't just start serving people at Christmas. Like, think about this for a minute. Jesus didn't just start serving people at Christmas. He didn't just start serving people when he showed up in the flesh. You see, serving for Jesus wasn't just an activity, it's an identity. Serving people for Jesus, it wasn't just something he did. It was somebody he was. So you have to ask the question, if that's the case, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, how was Jesus serving before the Christmas narrative? How was Jesus serving before Bethlehem? Glad you asked. Philippians chapter 2 verse five and six, give us an implication of this. When it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, so he is God at this point. He has always been God. He will always be God. It says, it did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He unfolded his life for other people by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Like what was Jesus doing to prepare to serve us? When he came as a as a human in human form, as Paul writes, like what was he doing? Like what do you do to prepare for Christmas? Like what what traditions do you have? Everybody got traditions in the house. Like like anybody does anybody do y'all do you do you, op- do you open a gift on Christmas Eve? Come on, hey, hey, yes, and, and usually it's what pajamas. Like what a letdown. Like whoever thought of that, you know. Hey, if you're a kid in here and your parents don't let you open a gift the night before Christmas, that means you're getting a new car for Christmas and they don't want you to open it. Man, we have different traditions. How many people, you watch a Christmas movie in the Christmas season? Just preparing for, how about Home Alone fans? Let's go real quick. Come on, let's go. Polar Express, come on. Let's go. First gift of Christmas, come on. Let's go, right? Santa Claus, right? Elf. Please, nobody raise your hand. Golly, that's a lot of hands. No wonder you don't want to serve people. Goodness gracious. I need to teach a different sermon. But listen, we, we have things that we do to prepare for the big day, right, to get ready. We always had our traditions with my kids, especially when they were smaller. You know, one of the things that we would do is we'd all throw our pajamas on, we'd jump in the car, we'd go buy McDonald's fries, and we, we'd ride around looking at lights, all over the neighborhoods now we couldn't do that on christmas eve because i'm busy on christmas eve but we would do it the night before and we would go it's just a tradition that we had and we we tried to do that for a while but we got rid of our suburban and now not everybody fits in the car um and so man another thing we had that i love and i still do it to this day i don't know how about toy story toy story fans come on elf beats toy story god almighty oh i used to love pastoring here what in the world (laughs) So think about it. Toy Story. You love, you love this movie. And so uh, that movie came out when my kids were little and we, we went to watch it on Christmas Day because, you know, nobody's going to go to the movie on Christmas Day. Uh, but everybody goes to the movie on Christmas Day. And we discovered that. So that was not a tradition. That was a one-off. Uh, but, but in the movie, you may remember the scene where it's Christmas and these new toys are showing up downstairs And there's these army men that are reporting back to Woody and all the other toys, the new toys that are coming in the house. And so what I would do is every Christmas, I would take the army men. I think we have a picture of the army men. I would take these army men, and I would put them all the way from the kids' room down to the Christmas tree because they were guarding all the new toys, right? This is one of those traditions. And I do it to this day. So when my kids who are now old wake up and they forget this, they walk out and they step on these army men. (laughs) And they curse at Christmas. Like, I don't know what's up with that. What kind of parent am I? Listen, we all have things that we do to prepare for Christmas. We have things that we do to get ready for the day. We have things that we do. And Jesus, Jesus was preparing for the time when he would come. What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing? I mean, the first thing I want to talk about is just Jesus was receiving glory. Man, Jesus was receiving glory. There's a passage, it's part of the book where we, you know, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father. It's part of that particular, um, in Isaiah chapter 6, it's part of that story. Let me find it real quick. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. And, and Isaiah obviously is the one writing this and he gets this vision of the Lord. And starting in verse 1, it says, it was the year that the king died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are angels, okay? They had six wings. Two they covered their face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And they called to another and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke and I said, Woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like this is a picture of Jesus being worshiped. He's called the Lord of hosts, which literally means the commander of angel armies. He is fierce. He is worthy of worship. So before he comes here, he's being glorified in worship. There are creatures that are created specifically to worship Jesus 24 hours a day seven days a week. Like, why did he do that? Why did he leave that? How many of us would leave that? There is no greater glory than giving your glory for the benefit of other people. There is no greater glory than giving your glory, giving your life for the benefit of other people. This is what Jesus was doing. He was preparing to give his glory for us to be rescued and ransomed. Amen. Uh, Second thing, second thing, Jesus was creating the world. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says that by him all things were created in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, rulers, dominions, thrones, or authorities. Everything that was created was created through him and for him. So, So don't forget, in the beginning when God created, what we read in Genesis, it was Jesus who was creating he separates out the land from the water, the heavens from the earth. Everything that we love, God created. Think about the things that you enjoy. God created that. A sunset, anybody? The Lord did that. And he's continuing to do that. Like there's another one, and there's another one, and there's another one. This is God creating that. Man, your favorite food? God created that. Man, love? God created that. The people that you love, God created that. This is what God was doing beforehand. God was creating. God was creating a world for us to enjoy. This is what Jesus was doing before Christmas happened. He was what serving us by creating for us a world that we could enjoy. Man, man, man. The the third thing that I've listed, and there's so many, is he was preparing a place us over in the book of John um, we read Jesus talking to his disciples kind of towards the end of his life man he's about to go in John chapter 14 Jesus says uh, I go to in John chapter 14 verse 2 he says this in my father's house are many rooms how does Jesus know that because he's already created them he spent his time creating these rooms for us It says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And Jesus is preparing a place for you. You know what what it's called? Simple. Home. That's what he's preparing for us. Jesus is preparing home for us. You know, when you're expecting somebody at home, you serve them, don't you? How many of you guys are going to go somewhere for Christmas? You're going to go home for Christmas? Just a few. How many people got people coming in? Right? You got people coming in. You're getting ready for them. You're expecting them. You're going to serve them. Man, uh, this last, towards the end of the week, my wife and I went to visit our son, John, who lives in Nashville. And so a couple things I didn't realize about Nashville. Number one, I didn't realize it was the bachelorette party capital of the world. Did you know this? Um, And so we went and man, John had washed the sheets. The bathroom was clean. He had our favorite drinks and food. He had an agenda for us. He was expecting us. He served us. He took us out to dinner and dad paid because that's what good dads do. Hello, somebody (laughs) should do. And and, and so we've we've got a lot of people coming in for Christmas because we have married children now. You know, we get every, they, they, they trade off, right? So we have kids coming in, and they'll be in for Christmas. They'll be in that week. So we're getting ready, right? We've already started getting ready. First thing we did, hide the wine. That's what you have to do at my house. <laughs> not really. What do you do, man? You, you stock the pantry. You fill the refrigerator with whatever they like, not what you like. I mean, you clean the house. You put flowers in their room. You get them little gifts. You just make it a place that they want to come to. Why? Because it is called home. Like, this is what Jesus has been doing for us. Before he was born, he was preparing a place for us. Now that he's back in heaven, Jesus is finishing the job for us. He is preparing a place called home. Nobody said it better than Dorothy. There is no place like home. There's no place like home. We say we're going to go home, even maybe to a place we haven't lived for years. Maybe a place we grew up in, even though we live here now. We say that why? It just means something to us. There's something internal in our hearts that just tells us what it means to go home. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus says it. He says, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Like, this is what Jesus has been doing. Like, can you imagine what your home would look like? Like, the things that you like? He is the master home builder. Man, he surveyed the lot, He poured the foundation. He's the plumber. He's the electrician. He's the interior designer. He knows if you want a couch, a love seat, or a club chair. He knows if you need a 65-inch or a 75-inch big screen TV, always 75. That's the right answer. But he knows. Right? He knows. He prepares it specifically and uniquely for you. For you. When you turn the hot water on, immediately it's going to be hot. You don't have to wait. Garage is not going to be messy. He's prepared a place for you. You know, my dad passed in 2015. Man, he just had a hard life and uh, he did the best he could. You know, he grew up with parents. Uh, his, His father was an alcoholic and so he grew up in some pretty difficult poverty and, you know, and he just had a hard, he had a hard life and uh, he, he struggled with some depression and just things that would happen. And after he passed, I can remember just kind of thinking about what it looked like for him to cross over. And I just had this image of him just, oh, of him just being able to just sleep for a really long time because he just needed some rest. Man, he just needed some rest. And then I had this picture of him sitting at the breakfast table with the Lord just feeling refreshed and rejuvenated because he what he had a place called home listen you got a place called home today you need to come home today man home is a place where you're known isn't it it's a place where they know your name but they also know what you like they know everything about you I mean there's a place in Revelation that says this about home it says when you that God has given you Man, God knows you. He knows you by name. God has given you a name. And when you cross into heaven, when you get there, there's going to be this name that's exchanged between you and him. Only you know. And only he knows. It's that unique. It's that individual. It's that special. Man, you will be known. You will, your hurts, your frustrations, the pain, the experiences. One of the things that I look forward to most about this idea of being known is that I will finally be understood. Like, don't you want to be understood? Like, if you're a leader in any form, any shape, form, or fashion, you are misunderstood. People don't know your motivations. They can't read between the lines. You have to keep information to yourself. You're the only one sometimes that sees the big picture, but you will be understood. To be home means to be known. Man, to be home means to have provision. It means to have provision. We'll have Man, no more scrapping and trying, trying to pull ourselves up. No more worrying about what the future holds for us. No more thinking about how we're going to provide. Man, we'll have provision. Our cupboards will be full. Our fridge will be overflowing. We'll have everything that we need because he is what? The great provider. Man, this is one of the promises of home. And this is the home that Jesus is preparing for you. Man, you know what? This is one I think we all can relate to. And Jesus says, This has come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. That's home. You can just walk in, and the door is unlocked. <sighs> and you can just take a deep breath and relax. And this is what home looks like. This is the kind of place that Jesus has been preparing for us before he ever showed up 2,000 years ago in a manger. Like, what would it be like for you to be home? What would it be like for you to be home spiritually? To quit listening to the voices of the world to give you what you're looking for? To quit telling, asking someone else to tell you who you are? To validate your existence? Like what would it look like for you to be home? Listen, God's great desire for you. God's great desire for you is for you to be home. This is what he's been doing. And he's been serving us even before we knew it, preparing a place for us that's called home. You know, in verse 8 in Philippians chapter 2, it says this. It says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We know that he came in the, the image, the likeness of us, even though we didn't have to. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? I think the first reason why is just to, just to identify with us. Do you know how when someone's been through what you've been through, you'll listen a little bit closer? And even more than that, if someone will just show up for you, you'll, you'll listen to them. Like I don't know if you've been, maybe you've been in a hospital room or maybe in a doctor's office and someone shows up for you, and you know they don't have the cure, but they just showed up, and that did something in your soul. There's something deep in your soul just because they showed up for you. And this is what Jesus did for us. man. He got in the mess. He got in the dirtiness. He got in the griminess. He got dirt under his fingernails. He rolled his sleeves up. And he came to be with us so he could understand. So we would know that he understands. Man, He came to identify with us. One thing I love about this is that he proved that there is no circumstance where he won't show up. There's no circumstance. Like, there's some people you'll show up for, but there's some things they could do that you bail on them, right? I mean, there's some things they could do, like, ah, I'm out. Got to draw my boundaries here. Jesus' boundary, death, there is no circumstance. Whatever, wherever you are today, the sadness, the mourning, the struggle, the confusion, the darkness that you're in, there is no circumstance he doesn't show up in and say, I'm here. And he came to identify with us. Second thing, it's just to give us this personal invitation to come home. It's just this personal invitation to come home. Have you ever been talking maybe in a group and they bring up this event that you weren't invited to? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe just me, but maybe to some of you. And then someone will say, yeah, 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 you should come. Are you going to that? Nope. Because you were an afterthought to them. That's why. And to God, you're not an afterthought. Jesus shows up on the front door of our lives. He moves in, knocks on the door, and says, Hey, i got a place for you. It's got your name on it. It's not a generic invitation. It's not an Evite. And I'm asking you to come home. We get a personal invitation to come. This is the reason Jesus showed up. And Jesus also showed up in person to illustrate the kingdom of God. He wants us to see what the kingdom actually looks like. Now, Now, we... We think we know what the kingdom is, and it feels like sometimes we call God's kingdom the upside-down kingdom. Maybe you've heard this: the first will be last, the last will be first. You want to lose your life? If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. If you lose your life, you'll find it. All these kind of sayings: if you want to be great, you got to humble yourself. It all seems upside down to us because we're built on let's let's achieve what we can, man. Let's go get what we got to get. You know, if you ain't first, you're last. Hello, Ricky Bobby. Come on somebody's favorite Christmas movie in here? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> oh, too late. I got you. Um, right? And then what about this? It, it, what do they call the person who comes in second? First loser. Navy SEALs. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, you know who said that? Stephen Gibbs. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we achieve, we go, we run. And then, then Jesus comes along and, and shows us, man, he shows us a different way. And this is where there's a plot twist, isn't it? I remember the very first time I ever saw a plot twist. It was a long time ago. It's going to date me way more than I would like, but the sixth sense. Remember that? Just all of a sudden, I see dead people. Like, what? Where did that come from? Just shocked. And Jesus comes along, and he humbles himself, and he empties himself, it says. And all of a sudden, we see the plot twist that this is the upside-down kingdom. His kingdom actually is right-side up. His kingdom is the way that things should be. And you know that. Here's how you know. I'm going to prove it to you. Whenever you've helped someone, maybe whether you've come along in the grocery store and pulled something down they couldn't reach, whether you gave someone directions, whether you helped someone move, whenever you've helped someone, you've been on a mission trip or gave some money, you know what you've thought to yourself? That feels so good. Amen. Amen. Like whenever we help people, we feel so good about it. Why? Because that is how we're wired. Listen, we're wired for God's kingdom. Man, we're not wired to do things on our own. We're wired to be home. We're wired to follow God. Jesus came to illustrate that for us because nobody else will. Everybody else is, hey, what can you do for me? Hey, it's about me. My life terminates on myself. In your marriage, who's it about, you or your spouse? Ooh, that got heavy real quick. I didn't even mean to go there. Sorry about that. Upside down, up is down. To gain, you have to lose. And we, we actually are wired for this, but we're, we have so many competing voices in our life that we forget man, that we're wired to serve. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. It was who he is. Now in the Bible, we see two different words that are used for this idea of serving or servant or even, even as far as slave. The first word has to do with who bought you. It has to do with who owns you. Now, in the Roman culture in Jesus' day, you know, there were some cities where it was 90% slavery, okay? And and there are different levels of slaves, they mean different things, but always it it boils down to who owns you, right? Who bought you? Now, if you follow Jesus, the Bible teaches us that you were bought with a price, and the price is what Paul is writing to the Philippians. We were bought with his life. That's the price that was paid for us. That Jesus poured himself out and died for us. He's the one that we're responsible to. He's the one who paid for us. We are his servants. We are owned by him. We're bought with a price. And we're all owned by somebody. You just have to pick who it's gonna be. Like you can be owned by your job. Anybody in here owned by your job today? Man, it's just all your time, all your thought. It's all your energy, all your affection. And if you don't think you're own, if, if you're like, ah, it's not me, do this. Ask your kids. They'll tell you, right? They'll tell you. We're all, all owned by something. Some people, are, we're owned by our bank accounts, and we're always looking at that. We're looking at the market. We're watching how much goes away. When it goes below a certain level, like, oh, i got to do my best. i got to work harder. i got to get an extra bonus. i got to get that extra project. Why? Because we're just owned by our finances. Now, maybe good reason. You could have grown up poor and without, or you could just be selfish. But we're owned by our bank accounts. We're owned by other people's opinions of us. Hello, everybody should look at that one. Just look at how you dress today. It'll tell you what brand owns you, right? <laughs> We're all owned by somebody. We're all owned by somebody. Now, two, two things to look at to know who you're owned by. First of all, what do you worry about? Think about what you worry about. Where's your anxiety? Where are you looking at the future? Where are you thinking about what's next? Like, like What are you worried about? It'll, it'll help tell you kind of what's owning you, what's, what's taking place of God in your life. Second thing, what does your wallet say? Our wallet's going to call us a liar before anybody else ever will. Man, we can look at where we spend money. We can look at how we organize our bank accounts. We can look at where we give, where we save, where we spend. We can look at that, and our wallets will tell us who owns us. Let me ask you, who owns you today? Who owns you? Se- second um, Second word that's used for this idea of servant or serving is not who owns us, but what we do. Like, what do we do and who does it benefit? Because in that culture, there are different types of servants and slaves. You know, if there were some cooks, there was foot washers, as we talked about, um, you know, there would have been, you know, people who took care of animals. There was all different kinds and they had different tasks. So who does it benefit? This is the second way to know. What do we do that benefits Somebody else. Like, like whose life are you benefiting? Whose life is your life benefiting? You know, maybe you run a company, you've got hundreds of employees. Would they say that life is better under you? That you always look out for their best interest? And that, that you're always trying to do the best you can to help them? doesn't mean they don't have to work doesn't mean they don't have to do a good job doesn't mean they don't have to you know fall in line and get the job done but it means they know that their life is better because you lead that company hey what about your family today and do your parents feel like their lives are better because you're you're serving them your life is benefiting them like whose life are you benefiting today and what about for those of you who are parents what about your children what would they say about you would they say that yeah you know Everything's about my mom. She's in control. She does everything for her. She's going to tell us what to do. She's going to tell us when to eat and what to eat and how to be there. She's going to tell us what time to show up. She's going to tell us how to think. She's going to tell us what grades we need to make. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your dad. It just seems to be controlling. And maybe, maybe as you come in as the dad, you come in and and the temperature of the house just changes and everybody gets a little quieter. Maybe it's called eggshells around your house. By like whose life are you benefiting? And what about your friends today? Like, but they say, my life's better because she's in my life. I'm always feeling encouraged. I feel like someone's there to help me. I feel, like, I feel like she's for me. She serves me. You know, serve can't always be about us just mopping floors. It's, a, it's who we are. Man, it's what changes our life because our king Owns us. Hello, somebody. Like Jesus paid the price for us. There's no better way to live. And I think for some people, you just need to recognize and acknowledge today your life being about you has not gotten the job done. Man, it's just left you feeling empty and alone and searching and wondering about the future. But I think for some people today, man, you just need to come home. Man, God is just calling you to come home. This is what he's been doing. This is his plan for us throughout all eternity. That a people for himself where we could all come home. Who owns you? Whose life? Whose life are you benefiting? Who bought you? Sometimes you just have to do some hard work to understand that.